five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're fighting for direct mail every day. I'll get it. I'm working on a new one, right? Make sure to read the subtitles because um, it's a little bit quiet, I would say. Why do I need to accept all cookies? Huh, GDPR. What? GDPR puts limits on third-party cookies. Third-party cookies? Little trackers on websites. Apple and Chrome are starting to block them, too. We got to pivot. Pivot? We can't rely on that data anymore. What do we do now? Branding. But can we still have cookies? First party only. Forget the cookies, build your brand. Okay, and that's a B2B video marketing agency, Umalt, which I've never heard of. And, you know, would have been, it, it, it's down in the lower corner here. So maybe, um, maybe it was there all along, but I didn't see it. You know, one of the factors in, in uh, advertising is give people a way to respond. Okay, this was an interesting, this was an interesting headline. Six types of CTAs, which are call to action, to improve your conversion rates. Now, what I was thinking it was going to be, what I was hoping for from Laura Wright, and this is one of the first articles I've used from MarTech Pulse. I ran across them a couple of weeks ago and used a prior article, and then I thought I'd put it in my regular daily scan. Um, but they haven't updated it in about a month. So maybe they just do a monthly. Adobe's had a newsletter they were doing monthly, but then uh, in COVID, they stopped updating it completely. So I do cycle these, these out. But anyway, so, um, so what I was hoping for, Laura, was um, actual methods of call to action. In other words, um, you know, when, when, when QR codes first came out, they were in every ad, they were in, you know, we were, they were all over the place. But you had to download a special app to run them. And so uh, most people didn't. And they didn't get much response. But about five years ago, I was working on a, uh, a postcard campaign for Lovesack, I think. And we were debating the, the QR code, and I talked to the postcard printer, and um, we were trying to drive traffic to the store, so, you know, the QR wasn't exactly relevant, but um, we, we, we talked to the postcard printer, and they said, well, it's funny, we just split tested having the QR versus not, and like I said, this was five years ago, but this was right around the time that Google and Apple uh, put the QR reader into the camera on uh, Android and, and iPhone. And that was a, that was a big factor because then people learned that you didn't have to do anything except bring up your camera and point it. And so uh, the president of the postcard company said, we're getting now 14% mm, lift just by putting it on. Okay, so the call to action addition of the QR code raised the response rate by 14%. Now, my guess is it's much higher now, 25, 30, maybe more. Uh, I'd love to hear from anyone who's run that test, 
very easy to do. Now, I uh, was working with Hamaker Schlemmer the last few years, not, uh, not last year. But um, I, I told him these things, and I said, you know, you could have a QR code on some of the items that you think are going to be hot. And especially the animated items would be a, a, a great place because they, they sell a lot of toys at Christmas, a lot of radio-controlled stuff. And it would be great to have not just a still shot of it, but a, uh, but a moving shot. Another thing that they, I suggested was that they put a QR in where there's um, – they, they do a lot of health items also in, in, the, in the spring of the year, allergies – air filters, um, things to make your life better. And I suggested that maybe you have testimonials or product background information that someone could quickly scan. They did, they, you know, they did put one on the catalog, one, right under your address. Uh, and it took you just to the main page of their website. You know, and so these kinds of thoughts the thoughts about how do we use the call to action how do we where do we take you right not just what can we call <laughs> what can we offer but the, but the methodology itself um you know when i was working with u.s postal service teaching their their sales force about direct mail uh we went to oakley headquarters and um you know they had no call to action on their their first attempt at mail, which of course would have done pretty nearly absolutely nothing. And uh, the, there was a, a, a phone number in the body copy, and that was it. And I said, at least make it larger. And I've shared numbers of tests with you where we just made the phone number bigger because it illustrates that we are trying to generate a response. Just having a QR, having a big phone number, having some way to get in touch, the URL, etc. indicates to the consumer that this is an offer. There's something to get out of this, okay? And that is crucial to generating some kind of response, okay? Uh, the retailer I'm working with right now said, we don't want to do any sale. We don't want to do any, you know, special deal. So it's going to be funny how we generate a response. But anyway, this article by Laura goes into the kinds of call to action so that you can have a lead generation call to action for more information um, and make sure that it communicates some value. That would be what we what I would have said might have made sense in that video ad that we just looked at. Uh, newsletter subscription. There was a subscription, but you know it could have said, for more examples of our work, right, for our real, as they used to say, um, <clears throat> A submission, submit at the end of the form, collects potential customer information, which can be combined with the lead generation. Oftentimes, if there's something of significant value, like um, have you know a free consult on whether video might boost your uh, web traffic or your lead generation or something like that, a learn more could have been easily done that way. Uh, purchase call to action uh, is the... <laughs> You know, is the direct, will you buy this, whatever that is. Social sharing, lots of buttons. I don't know. I've done 
a number of these kinds of things on my different websites, you know, pop-ups and things to get people to do something and to get them to, to offer them some kind of information and never get any any response at all. Now, I don't have a lot of traffic, and I don't worry too much about my websites, to be honest, because most people look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, so why chief executives run out of patience with their CMOs? This is a really well-done article by Chris Warren. It's from a couple of weeks ago. Setting clear expectations with the entire C-suite is more important than ever. And they cite a bunch of things about that only about 34% of chief executives have confidence in their CMOs, while 56% believe the CMOs are committed to themselves more than their CEO. Now, there's an interesting and telling remark. Probably because we get excited and enthusiastic about whatever it is we're at, uh, we're working on at the moment. Seven percent, seventy percent of CEOs believe their CMOs would save their own rear before considering the CEO. You know, and and oftentimes, you know, the CEO is kind of a destination. You know, for a lot of people that I that I've known over the years, you know, when they got to be president of a considerable company, that was. That was really one of their career goals, right? Although I've had a couple others that were presidents of big companies that found out that they had been climbing the ladder, but it was leaning on the wrong building. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, in both cases, it was a culmination. Whereas the, whereas the CMOs, the ones I've known, a lot of times seem to change jobs a lot, often looking for the next shiny object job, I would say. I'm not saying who. Okay, 80% of the CMOs turnover, 80% of the CEOs think CMO turnover is due to the CMO's own failings. And the average tenure now in 2020 was 40 months, the lowest since 2009, which is about when the CMO job description got invented. Uh, you know, here's, and then there's some interviews Janet Bayless, marketing practice leader at ANA. I think this was from ANA, actually. They have some interesting articles on their website uh, explicitly. I was a judge for the uh, 2022 ECHO Awards, International ECHO Awards, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Lisa ran it, and we had, I mean, Lisa moderated our session, and she's great, and we've known each other for a long time. And, um, and so... Uh, the ANA is still doing some of the things that DMA used to do. Um, but Janet says, an effective CMO will connect the dots across the full customer journey through both data and digital transformation. Okay, now that's the kind of talk that gets CEOs nervous, right? Because what's it going to cost? What's it going to do for us? And can you ever point to anything you've ever done that actually improves the valuation of our company significantly? And this is why CMOs get in trouble, because they didn't take finance in college. They don't, they don't think about company valuations much. They think about generating clicks, generating leads, you know, filling the sales pipeline. They think about a process, whereas the CEO thinks about not only the top line, what are the sales you know, and nothing about the likes. <laughs> Don't care. The think about the CEO thinks about what's the bottom line. Along the CEO and the CFO are thinking: Are we generating profits? 
you know, or are we improving the valuation of the company? I've dramatically improved the valuation for 17 companies, including Fortune 100 divisions. You know, so this is where the CMOs, I think, fail. Uh, most of the time when I'm talking to the CMO, they're talking about customer journey, customer experience. It's a good thing. Should represent that in the C-suite. But here it comes. It sounds rudimentary. CMOs need to treat their role as a business person first and a marketer second. When you get to the C-suite, you are right there representing the investors. That's your job. That's where, you, that's where your thinking belongs. And I'm not saying you need to rip off customers or not ship merchandise. That's COO. Uh, you need, but you need to be thinking about valuation as a fundamental concept. And the CEO and the CFO are. And maybe have their compensation linked to it. And so when they hear, when they hear about the customer journey digital transformation, they're thinking, what's it going to cost and will it do anything? So I highly recommend to CMOs that when you plan a project, plan the ROI that you're going to deliver and make sure you hit it. And if you don't know how to do that, then we really should talk. You know, And if you're a CFO or a CEO and you think that your CMO has no clue, we did a, I did a webinar a couple of months ago called How to Speak to the CFO, I think, or the CEO, and, or How to Think Like a CEO. And it was pretty well received. I think maybe I'll do that one again. Um, but so here's the straightforward question. Does the CMO's work propel the company's overall business objectives? And if you want to be brutal about it, think EBITDA. Like valuation. If not, we need to end. I ask all of our marketers, this is it right here, to consider if they can demonstrate results for a planned activity. You know, and then you'll bring out the attribution tables based on cookies <laughs> or last touch or first touch or some other nonsense or some percentage of what you'd really like it to be, to, to be. But when I was fighting with the, the investors in Dubai who owned Guitar Center, the way we proved the value of, of Musician's Friend was by doing hard holdout tests and showing the millions of dollars that were dependent on the catalog how the catalog incrementally boosted the customer spend, how the spend on catalog delivered hundreds of percentages of return on investment at the EBITDA level. Those things the investors in Dubai understood. They may not have understood the catalog business. It doesn't matter. When we stopped mailing some of the customers, they spent less. We had less profits. That's the kind of thing that you need to do. You need to be doing, as Mark Ritson said, you need to be spending 5% of your marketing budget on testing. You know, let's talk about that. And I don't mean quickie testing headlines for clicks in digital. That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is how does it impact 
the immediate next month or two? How does it impact the customer spend? How does it impact the average order size? How does Is there anything measurable? Back to Bob Stone. Is there anything that we can do that has enough impact, enough engagement, that we can actually prove what's going on? And mail can do that. You may not like mail. You may not want to do mail. But you can prove to your CEO how the money returns investment with mail. And when we were working with Lovesack, you know, Sean, uh, Sean did a video as they were going public because their sales went from about 50 million to 100 million, all public information because they went public, right? They showed their sales. Um, but as that was, as that process was culminating, Sean was doing a series of videos uh, about trying to hit the 100 million mark. And on one of them, he talked about how great the, his marketing people were at evaluating the impact of different marketing spend. That's how you get the confidence of your CEO. And back about two years before, or three years, <laughs> I told Patrick, the VP of marketing, really smart guy, really liked Patrick, that I told, I showed him how we could do holdout tests. I show we, I showed him how we could do incremental, the incremental lift. I showed him how we could do hard, absolutely valid attribution split tests on driving traffic to the store, and that led to to more use of mail in ways I hadn't envisioned. Give uh, uh, give Brian Delette credit at LS Direct. Uh, for telling them about retargeting by mail, which no one was doing in those days. I think I think those guys, LS Direct, might have been one of the one of the first, along with Pebble Post. But anyway, Brian explained that, and then because they were already doing TV and things, and because we had hard tested the headlines, we could actually they could actually they could actually focus their their digital and their mass media on the on the things that we had discovered with direct marketing research and pour gas on the whole thing. And all of a sudden, sales per store, per existing store took off. They'd almost always grown by adding new stores. But this was a whole new thing. And uh, from what I've gathered, I've talked with Brian every now and then, uh, the sales have increased. I mean, the you know, the trajectory has kept up. So... This is the way you get the confidence of the CEO. Same with your bank. You do something and then you show that it worked. Great article. Every CMO should read it. And if I said, if you're a CEO or a CFO and you think your CMO needs some of this, give me a call. I've done a lot of consulting for C-suite level strategy and, and how, to, how to tighten down what the marketing is doing. Have a great day. Like and share. Join the WDMA and give me a call. Bye-bye.